So as Gord so kindly and gently reminded us that we are a week before Christmas. And that week before Christmas has different feelings for each of us, right? I love Christmas. Christmas is an exciting time for me. Um, But depending on what stage of your Christmas preparation you might be in, your feelings the week before Christmas might be a little different. I don't want to name any names, but some of us might not even have like our Christmas tree up or decorations on that tree. It might be up, but no decorations. Or maybe you're thinking of, I'd like to get Christmas presents for someone, and you haven't done it yet, and maybe you're waiting for a good sale, and maybe that's not happening. Or maybe your Christmas lights outside. We got hit with snow. You were planning on Saturday. Different stages of those Christmas preparations might bring different emotions to us. And so Some of us who are really excited about Christmas might not be so excited and maybe a little more anxious as that week approaches. And probably for many of us, as we've had a year of record inflation and struggling financially, uh, we have this anxiety around maybe spending more money and different things like that. So it can be a difficult time as well as a joyful, hopeful time for many of us. But depending on where you are, you maybe are feeling different emotions. And so for some of us, it might be Anything but peaceful at this time. But Christmas is about peace. In fact, one of the passages we've been looking at for this series, uh, He Shall Be Called from Isaiah 9-6, says this about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this week we're talking about what does it mean that the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace? What does it mean for you, maybe in a time where you're not feeling that peace? I know for some of you, you work in environments that are very stressful. Uh, Maybe you're in healthcare, maybe you're in education, maybe you're just in any job right now, and it is anything but peaceful. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in your life? For many of us, when we think about peace, what we go to is kind of that idea, you know, world peace, there's no conflict, there's no fighting, and that's what peace can look like for us. Maybe a place of rest or a time of relaxation because you're not worried about what will happen. As you're preparing for this week before Christmas, maybe you're thinking about the family you'll visit, and you're wondering if it will be free of conflict and peaceful. Or maybe you're thinking about the presents you bought your kids, and you're wondering how grateful they'll actually be, and you have that anxiety, and it's anything but peaceful at this time. But what is this passage about? What does it mean that the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace? Is it just about an absence of conflict? Is it just about there being no more war, which is still a beautiful thing? Or is there something deeper, more meaningful even, about Christmas than that, which might be hard for us to imagine? Let's think about the time of Jesus. So those of us who maybe are, some of us have more familiarity, maybe some of us a little less familiarity about the world around Jesus when he was born into it. What was the world like for the people living there? Well, depending on who you were, you would say it's actually very peaceful. In fact, there was a title given to that part of the world, which was part of the Roman Empire, called Pax Romana, Roman Peace. And that title meant that it was a time of peace. But what did peace mean? Was Jesus' family experiencing peace? Was everybody? 
Those of us who are familiar with the Christmas story, we know part of that story is they had to leave where they resided and go to their ancestral home, which isn't very peaceful. And they had a baby not in their home, and in fact, in somebody else's home, most likely. So what was this Pax Romana? What was this Roman peace? Well, it's a period of about, depending on who you read or who you listen to, between 250 and 400 years, where the Roman governing group declared it was a peaceful time. And for them, peace was not the absence of conflict. In fact, peace was brought on by war. And that only through war was peace possible. In the Pax Romana, peace basically meant you beat your enemies enough so that they don't revolt against you. So people are beaten down enough that they don't try to go against the government. That was Roman peace. So the world that Jesus is born, and we see this in the history of the nation of Israel, they are often beat down by oppressive governments, and they don't feel they can rise up against it. For the oppressive government, that is peace. Because nobody's going to fight them, unless they want to fight them. So into that world, the Prince of Peace was born. So for a lot of people who maybe had heard this prophecy at that time, they would go, peace? What's that? What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus is going to beat us up so much that we don't want to fight him? Is that it? Well, what did Isaiah think about peace? What was their context? So Isaiah's context is somewhat similar to the context Jesus was born into. Israel was again being managed by an oppressive government. There were wars happening. Israel was not where it was supposed to be. And the promise was that God would step into human history at some point and give them the freedom that they so desired in the Messiah. That in the one that's called the Prince of Peace, they would be free from this oppressive government. They would be free in their lives. And for Isaiah, he would use a word shalom for peace. And so some of us, maybe we have Jewish friends or family, we heard that term. Maybe you've had someone greet you with that term. It's a greeting as as well as a goodbye, shalom. And it's often English translation is peace. But for them, it's so much more than that absence of conflict. In fact, the word means much more than don't fight. The word actually most closely resembles wholeness. To say peace, prince of peace, is prince of wholeness. An idea that there is justice in the world, that things are made right, all wrongs are made right, that there is love expressed, yet yes, there's an absence of conflict, but everything is the way it's supposed to be. So when Isaiah gets this instruction from God to share with the people who do not feel peaceful, because they are just experiencing conflict. He says to them, there will be a child born, and this child is the prince of wholeness, and in him you will have wholeness. There will be, yes, an absence of conflict, but everything will be made right, put in order. If you are anything like me, 
there are times in your life where you feel better about yourself than others. Maybe you're in one of those moments right now. Maybe you're at the opposite end where you don't feel so great about yourself. Usually when we're in moments where we don't feel so good about ourselves, that comes out in very negative ways. Sometimes that is yelling at someone, maybe a spouse or a child or a neighbor or even a coworker. Sometimes that is just being angry and not knowing why. And it's because there's something in us that makes us feel not whole. And so we experience and express it negatively. This is a lack of peace in ourselves. And so we have to wrestle with it and figure out what does that mean? Why am I acting this way? In John chapter uh, 14, Jesus, as he's speaking to his followers, as he's instructing them about who is to come, which is the Holy Spirit, that they will, he's never actually going to leave them. He says this in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Prince of Peace says he is going to give us peace. And as he's going to give us peace, it's not as the world gives, it's better. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us as people? Well, think about what peace looks like or wholeness looks like in our world. Maybe it's to buy more stuff. Christmas seems to have that effect. Maybe you won't feel whole until you get a new car or a new job or a new partner. Maybe it's everybody else's fault, and so you've got to clear them out, and you need those new people in to make yourself feel whole. What does it mean to find wholeness in this world? One of my favorite quotes is by Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal, uh, some of you are familiar with him, maybe some of you are not, a lot of varied interests in his life, but he said this quote, and I've always kind of stuck to it. He says this, He says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped vacuum. And that word vacuum, so sometimes maybe you've heard this before, they say God-shaped hole. And a hole is one thing, right? So if you have a hole, you put something in the hole, it's done. A vacuum is different. A vacuum consumes and keeps consuming and is never satisfied. We all have this vacuum in us trying to fill something because we actually don't have the shalom that can only be found in the Prince of Peace, in Jesus. So we consume. We consume food excessively. We consume drugs or alcohol, sex, relationships, success, material objects, We try to fill, fill, fill. Sometimes even our family becomes that. We try to fill a void that just consumes and we're never satisfied. What does it mean to be someone who has shalom when we have this void that just consumes and consumes? The coming of Jesus the first time was to step into the world as this Prince of Peace, and provide 
fullness, wholeness for all who desired it. But still, 2,000 years later, we're just consuming and consuming and unsatisfied, lacking the wholeness that we so desperately desire and need. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, speaking of peace, says this in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 11. Speaking to this Ephesian church, this church who is a mixture of, of people, but there are people who are primarily have been distant from God. They were Gentiles, so they weren't part of the community of God. And for a lot of people in that category, they weren't accepted into the Jewish category of the people of God because they didn't follow all the rules the same way. And Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body of a human hands. Remember that at that time, sorry, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and, from, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, who you, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul says, rightfully so, Jesus is our shalom. He is our peace. And as we reflect on the Prince of Peace coming at Christmas, he is who we can be made whole by, through, with. That he has reconciled us to God, so any void or vacuum or distance between the creator of the universe and us is gone. He has reconciled us to each other. If we have differences, those differences don't, you know, they, they make us part of who we are, but they aren't what should exclude each other. They should actually, in Christ, bring us together. So there's not differences, there's just people in God's family. And he reconciles us to us, filling that vacuum with the only thing that can fully fill it, himself. Jesus is our peace. And only in Jesus can we experience real peace. And so you might be going through something in your life where you think that peace is the furthest thing from reality. And it might show itself in stress. It might show itself in frustration. It might show itself in a deep loneliness or anger or longing for something you don't have. And it might be hard to name but the reality is, is that we have this vacuum trying to be filled 
that truly can only be filled through Jesus. So how do you experience wholeness, peace in Jesus? I want to share with you what works for me. I'm not going to say it's going to work for everybody, but it's worked for me, especially this last year. Around this time last year, I missed a Sunday because there was anything but peace going on in my heart. And I struggled a lot that day and was dealing with a panic attack, so I ended up missing a Sunday. Through God's grace and work, that's not an issue. And so for me, this is what's worked. The first thing is that I have to control the controllables. For a lot of us, when we don't experience peace, when we feel anything but wholeness, it's because we're trying to control everything, and it's not working out. And in everything, that could be the people you work with, it could be your kids, it could be your everything. Pretty much that's everything. And it stresses us, it frustrates us, because things don't go the way we want them to. And as much as we try to control and control and control, and if it doesn't work, what happens? We wonder why we failed. We wonder what's wrong with us. We have a void that we're just trying to fill and go, why can't I be better? So you have to control what you can control. So what can you control? There's only one thing you can actually control, and that's how you react to things. When we recognize that we actually can't control all the people around us, but we can control how we react to the people around us or to the situations we find ourselves in, there's a great deal more peace in ourselves. I can't make you do anything. I might suggest it. I might say, hey, this is a good idea. But ultimately, it's your choice to do something. I want you all to know the love Jesus has for you and follow him. But I can't force you to do that. That's your choice. So I will teach it, preach it, share it, try to demonstrate as best I can. But that's an uncontrollable. What I can do is teach it, preach it, share it as best I can, and live it. You can just control some things, not everything. And you have to recognize what is controllable and what is not. Some of us have this spirit to us where we want to control everything. And people would even call us controlling. That doesn't bring peace. You're trying to fill a vacuum that's never going to be filled. Second thing is this. You need to trust Jesus. Trust him. Trust him to care about all those things in your sphere. Trust him to know what actually might be better for you than you might even know. Trust him to love you more than you love yourself. Trust him to really truly be the one who says, you are God's masterpiece created for good works long ago. Trust him. If we don't trust Jesus, if we don't trust God in who we are in the world around us, we will ultimately try to control everything again to try and make it the way we think it's going to work. But if Jesus is this wonderful counselor, everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace, he is much more qualified than you are for anything your life is going to face. Trust him. 
Know him, trust him. So control what you can and trust Jesus with everything. The third thing is, this is a hard one, give Jesus control of the uncontrollables. You can't control me. You can't control the people sitting next to you. You can't control your cousin in Saskatchewan. You can't... Does anybody actually have a cousin in Saskatchewan? I don't even know. There's so many things you can't control. But if you trust that Jesus loves you as much as he says he loves you, you can trust him with those things you can't control. This is the most freeing thing that you can probably experience to find shalom. For me, part of it is to go, what I desire for you, what I desire for my kids, what I desire for so many people is to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. But I can trust him that he loves you, loves my kids, loves everybody way more than I do and will do his part because I can't control it. And when I can free myself of that control, that desire, it's amazing what you see God do. It's amazing how our hearts are touched. If you always try to control the uncontrollables, you will just grow frustrated and weary and exhausted. There will be no shalom, no peace. But if you desire to experience life in all of its fullness that Jesus offers, which is shalom, wholeness, to have that vacuum finally be satisfied, doesn't mean you're not going to want for anything, doesn't mean you're not going to be disappointed, doesn't mean there's not going to be hard days, but to really be satisfied, it is only found in the Prince of Shalom, Jesus. And no matter what we try to fill our life with, or who we try to fill our life with, there will not be real satisfaction until we solve the real problem. We need to know Jesus. And thankfully, we celebrate that he came to the earth so he could be known, and we could know him. He's not some distant God who will never actually know or no one ever actually knew and we make up stories about. He is a God who came near to us. Eugene Peterson, he translates the idea of the incarnation as he set up his tent and was with us. He moved into the neighborhood. God came to be with us so that we could find wholeness that we couldn't do on our own. That vacuum we have was meant to be satisfied. And the one who can satisfy it did everything he could so you and I could know it. But it's still up to us to let him fill it. Or not. And keep trying and striving and being dissatisfied. God came near so you could be whole more than anything that you ever imagined. And that is a free gift for all of us. Let's pray. God, I do thank you that you did come near. You moved into our neighborhoods. You're not some distant God who we can never know, but we can know you through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the person of Jesus. And that as we look to you, Jesus, we see 
this wonderful counselor, this everlasting father, this mighty God, this prince of peace, who came to be known, the Emmanuel who is God with us. So we too can know ourselves and experience the wholeness that you offer through the forgiveness of our sins, through your death and resurrection, so we could have life in all of its fullness. And I pray we know that. That most of all this Christmas, we can embrace that for who we are and be known and know ourselves as people who have shalom, who are whole. And that we find that wholeness in you, Jesus. We're all at different stages in our life. We have different questions and different struggles and different desires. But there's ultimately you who brings us together and reconciles any divides we have through your cross and invites us to that cross to be made new, to be your masterpiece and to join in in the great works you have. I thank you for that gift. And I pray we come to know it to be true every day of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.